London Calling. London Walks Connecting. London Walks here with your daily London fix. Story time. History time. September 14th. It's like a fireworks display, this date. Every single rocket gets an, oh, look at that, from the spectators. There's Handel finishing the Messiah on September 14th, 1741. Finishing it in London, of course. There's the Idol's Eye Diamond going on sale at Christie's on September 14th, 1865. And needless to say, dazzling everybody. There's fireworks for you, gemstone fireworks. There's the first recruitment campaign for World War I getting underway on September 14th, 1914. Getting underway with a grand assembly at Guildhall. There was London beside itself with excitement on September 14th, 1974, because Chia Chia and Ching Ching, a pair of giant pandas, finally arrived at their new home, the London Zoo. That was a consummation devoutly to be desired. In token of friendship, the Chinese had presented the pandas to Prime Minister Edward Heath during his visit to China earlier in 1974. And then there was a big black mark entered against Scotland Yard, or at least against two of its officers, on September 14, 1928. Two coppers were found guilty of perverting the course of justice. They'd prepared a false charge against young, she was only 21, Helen Adele of Islington. They'd had her arrested on the false charge. And what was behind it? Sex. The bent coppers had filed the false charge against Helen to punish her for refusing to sleep with one of the young PCs. Then there was the hanging at Tyburn to much popular acclaim of a loathed and feared midwife, Elizabeth Brownrigg. She was hanged on September 14, 1767. For good measure, her skeleton was exposed at Surgeon's Hall in the Old Bailey so that the heinousness of her cruelty might make the more lasting impression on the minds of the spectators. And it was on September 14, 1824, that things began to come unstuck for the banker and forger, Henry Fauntleroy. The bank owned up on this day and put up a notice informing the public that the bank was suspending payments in consequence of the very unexpected situation which we find ourselves placed in by the extraordinary conduct of our partner, Mr. Fauntleroy. In just a couple of months, Mr. Fauntleroy would find himself in a very unexpected situation. Well, he can't have expected it when he set off down the primrose path. He found himself hanging from a noose in front of a hundred thousand spectators. At Tyburn, of course. Let's light one more rocket. One more before the grand finale. There was a huge procession, two huge processions actually, through the streets of London on September 14, 1929. The marchers, one of the processions was of some 12,000 schoolboys and girls, were marking the centenary of Catholic emancipation. In short, the passing of the Act in 1829 that enabled Roman Catholics to sit and vote in both houses of Parliament. Coming across that story in newspapers now nearly a hundred years old, I was, frankly, taken aback. The thought was, 
I had no idea. That centenary was clearly a big deal for London's Catholic community. And of course, the follow-on thought was, the bicentenary is coming up fast. It's just seven years in the future. I wonder if it'll be marked. Probably it will be. But I'll be bowled over if it's a mass event the way it was in 1929. Events, historically important men and women, are like radionuclides. They each have their own particular half-life. Definition time. A half-life is the length of time it takes for half of the radioactive atoms of a specific radionuclide to decay. The rule of thumb is that after seven half-lives, you have less than 1% of the original amount of radiation. Food for thought. Perhaps especially so just now. My best American pal, he'll be listening, has twin grandsons. They're seven years old. The death of the queen will be occupying a lot more of my friend's mental landscape than it will of his grandson's. Anyway, that's the fireworks show for September 14th. We could have hitched a ride on any of those rockets, but they're just the warm-up act. The star of this September 14th show is the beginning of the Royal Hospital in Chelsea. Each of the entrants got its turn in the balance, and none of the others had the wallop of the Royal Hospital. It's like the difference between a show that's a two-hander or a four-hander and a huge musical extravaganza. Les Miserables, perhaps, or The Phantom of the Opera. I mean, with the Royal Hospital, you get those old soldiers walking around in those amazing scarlet uniforms, the uniform of the British soldier 340 years ago. You've got the beautiful Wren building. You've got the position. Location, location, location. Arguably the most remarkable position of any building in London. I mean, let's take it compass point by compass point. Look north from the Royal Hospital, you've got the Royal Avenue. Look west, you've got the Chelsea Physic Garden. Look south, you've got the River Thames. Look east, you've got the National Army Museum. And, of course, the stories are to die for. It's always about narrative. I mentioned the Royal Avenue... It's very grand, but it's also very stubby. It's truncated. To use the Americanism, it's only one block long. The story is they were going to push it all the way up to Kensington Palace, but they ran out of money. So it's very grand, but very stubby. But one can always take comfort in the thought that James Bond's flat was in the Royal Avenue. And, of course, the street that crosses the T, St. Leonard's Terrace, well, there you have Dracula. Translation, Bram Stoker's house. Bram Stoker was, of course, the Irish actor and writer who authored the famous Gothic horror tale. And you have Laurence Olivier's house. And the house, embarrassment of riches, the house of Richard Rogers, the late, so-celebrated modern architect. Christopher Wren over the way, Richard Rogers right here. There's his house. Look up there. That's right. That's the huge, famous Andy Warhol Chairman Mao portrait, just visible through the first floor window if you know exactly where to look. And that's not to mention the Chelsea Flower Show, which takes place on the grounds of the Royal Hospital. If it's dawning on you what a joy it is for Brian and Stephanie, our Chelsea Walks guides, to do their thing down there, well, so it should be. Dawning on you, I mean. 
Guiding-wise, Chelsea is great circus act after great circus act. And, of course, then there's the history of the Royal Hospital. As is so often the case, emulation, jealousy, not going to be outdone by the Joneses, was a factor. In this case, as is so often the case in this country, the Joneses were the French, and Paris in particular. They had, for their old soldiers, the Hôtel des Invalides, and Charles II wasn't having any part of hanging his head in shame because he wasn't doing nearly as good a job of looking after his old soldiers as Louis XIV was doing in Paris. Q. Nell Gwynne. It's been said that Pretty Nelly, the cockney orange seller turned actress turned favorite royal mistress, triggered the whole thing by teasing Charles II. The French king is putting you to shame, Charles. And, of course, it's Katie bar the door once you get Nell Gwynne in the spotlight of a walk. The story, for example, of her carriage being surrounded and stoned by a London mob. They mistakenly thought it was Charles II's hated French mistress in the conveyance. Nellie opened the window, thrust her head out, and said very sweetly, Please desist, dear friends. I am the Protestant whore. Not only did the crowd desist, it cheered. Well, anyway, let's pin down the particular of the anniversary and throw a faggot on the fire that you almost certainly won't know about. I certainly didn't. We go to John Evelyn's diary entry for September 14, 1681. It reads, Dined with Sir Stephen Fox. A member of the Royal Society, Stephen Fox, was the paymaster general. Dined with Sir Stephen Fox, who proposed to me the purchasing of Chelsea College, which His Majesty had sometime given to our society, and would now purchase it of us again to build a hospital for soldiers there. And there you go. That's the Genesis moment. The faggot to toss on the fire is the Chelsea College. What was there before, in other words? No, I hadn't heard of it either. Founded in 1609, it was a spiritual garrison to refute papist doctrines. It proved to be a damp squid, and so, 70 years later, was, as a site, ripe for the plucking. And a Today in London recommendation? No end of low-hanging fruit here. The Royal Hospital has a museum. There's the National Army Museum. There's the Physic Garden. Take your pick. Mix and match. You couldn't be better situated than this bit of Chelsea. You've been listening to the Today in London History podcast, emanating from www.walks.com, home of London Walks, London's signature walking tour company, London's local, time-honored, fiercely independent, family-owned, just the right size walking tour company. And as long as we're at it, London's multi-award winning walking tour company. Indeed, London's only award winning walking tour company. And here's the secret. London Walks is essentially run as a guides cooperative. That's the key to everything. It's the reason we're able to attract and keep the best guides in London. 
You can get schlubbers to do this for 20 pounds a walk, but you cannot get world-class guides, let alone accomplished professionals. It's not rocket science. You get what you pay for. And just as surely, you also get what you don't pay for. Back in 1968, when we got started, we quickly came to a fork in the road. We had to answer a searching question. Do we want to make the most money? Or do we want to be the best walking tour company in the world? You want to make the most money, you go the schlubber's route. You want to be the best walking tour company in the world. You do whatever you have to do to attract and keep the best guides in London. You want them guiding for you, not for somebody else. Bears repeating, the way we're structured, a guides cooperative, is the key to the whole operation. It's the reason for all those awards. It's the reason people who know go with London Walks. It's the reason we've got a big following, a lively, loyal, discerning following. Quality attracts quality. It's the reason we're able, uniquely, to front our walks with accomplished, in many cases, distinguished professionals. Barristers, doctors, geologists, museum curators, archaeologists, historians, criminal defense lawyers, Royal Shakespeare Company actors, a bevy of MVPs, Oscar winners, I call them, people who've won the Guide of the Year Award. Well, you get the idea. As that travel writer famously put it, if this were a golf tournament, every name on the leaderboard would be a London Walks guide. And as we put it, London Walks guides make the new familiar and the familiar new. And on that agreeable note, come then, let us go forward together on some great London Walks. See you tomorrow.